Thank y'all so much for coming to the Seesaw outing. Only happens once a year, so glad we could all make it out. While the outlines are being passed out, I just want to, um, I believe we had a lot of campuses represented today, so I just wanted to make notice of you guys. So obviously UT Austin is here. Raise your hand from UT Austin. All right, all right. I believe ACC is here. Is that correct? Is ACC here? Am I right? You're ACC. Yeah, man, we want to see you. Welcome, ACC. That's what I'm talking about. I believe Texas Tech is here. There we go, Tech. There we go. I believe UT Tyler is here. Where are you? Okay. Um, Tyler Junior College, anybody? We got some TJC, Tyler Junior College. There we go. Um, who else? Belton. Bel- UMHB, yeah. Belton. Okay, who else? St. Ed's. Where's the St. Ed's crew here? Let's go. Let's go, St. Ed's. It's wonderful that the Lord would gather all of us together, have a wonderful time of blending, wonderful time enjoying beautiful creation, enjoying the fellowship in the body. Um, so thank you all so much for coming. My name is Trevor. I've been on staff with Seesaw almost three years, and I really feel like it's a privilege for me to speak to you guys today because I believe that the Lord is going to use y'all and is using y'all to hasten his second coming. So I'm really thankful to be able to speak to such an audience. And we're going to be in 1 Peter, as you can see in the title of your outline. And it's going to be wonderful because actually we're going to be journeying from eternity past onto the bridge of time and then into eternity future. That's the journey we're going to be taking today if you stay for both messages. Quite a journey. So I hope your seatbelt is buckled. And for this journey we're taking today, I hope you have a pen to take some notes. That would be good to have a writing utensil or do it on your phone, something. Because I believe the Lord's going to release some riches. And you want to put those riches in your pocket and take those riches to heart so that the Lord can work those riches into you so it becomes your reality. So as people are reaching for pens... Borrowing pens, getting phones ready. If you're using your phone, can you please put it on silent and airplane mode? We don't want Satan throwing any distractions onto your screen, man, as the Lord is flowing out here. Um, Okay, are y'all ready to jump in? Let's read the title all together at the top. Ready, go. Life and building in 1 Peter. Excellent, excellent. Life and building in 1 Peter. And before I jump into Peter in these verses... I want to take a look into Peter's life and give you guys some cases that we see of Peter in the Gospels. And Peter, we know, is a fisherman from Galilee. Fishermen, you know, they're a little rough around the edges. Have you ever watched those reality fishing shows? They're a little rough around the edges. This is Peter, a little rough around the edges. He's a fisherman in Galilee. That's a despised region. And so this is who we're talking about today. In Matthew 14... This is what happens with Peter. Peter, remember, he's on the boat. You got the wind and the waves, and he steps out, and he's looking at the Lord and begins walking on water. Wonderful, right? He has his eyes on Jesus, but then he begins looking at the situation, and he begins to sink. Of course, he cries for help, and the Lord saves him. Peter. In Matthew 16, right after Peter gets the revelation of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, and this Christ wants to build His church. 
and the Lord says he needed, he needed to die for the church to be built, Peter rebukes the Lord Jesus Christ, man. It's like, no, Lord, this shall by no means happen to you. And then he gets called Satan. That's Peter. In Matthew 17, the Lord takes him up to the mountain, and Peter has a great idea. Say, let's build three tents, one for you, Lord, Moses, and Elijah. That was a big no-no. Because that prompted the father to come and say, this is my son, the beloved, in whom I have found my delight. Hear him. And then Peter, what happened was, he, he got so afraid, he just fell on his faith basically put his foot in his mouth. And then the Lord tested this revelation later on in chapter 17 when somebody comes and asks, does your teacher, referring to the Lord, pay the temple tax? And Peter again just so just likes to jump out there. Yeah, he does. Well, the Lord was waiting for him and was anticipating Peter. And basically, of course, Peter answered wrongly because the Lord Jesus is the son of the king. And the sons of the king, they don't pay the tax for the temple. But the Lord says, Peter, you go fish, you're going to pull out a fish, and you're going to find a stator, a little coin, in that fish's mouth, and then you pay the tax for both of us. That's Peter. We're not done yet. John 18. They're coming to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ before he's about to be crucified. Peter draws out his sword and hacks off the ear of the high priest's servant. And the Lord tells him, put that sword away. That's Peter. Matthew 26, Peter boasts he would never forsake the Lord, even if all the other disciples would. But later on in the chapter, he denies the Lord three times. That's Peter. John 21, after the Lord's been crucified, after the Lord has resurrected, even Peter is a witness of the Lord's resurrection. Peter backslides into his old life of fishing. He says, I'm going fishing. And then he takes six other disciples with him and causes them to backslide into their old, vain manner of life. That's Peter. Peter, his life ended. Do you all know how his life ended? Fist upside down by the Romans. Yep. <laughs> Peter's life ended by being crucified as a martyr for the Lord Jesus. So between all these things where Peter just messed up time and time and time again, ending his life by being crucified as a witness for the Lord, between this time the Lord did such a work in Peter, such a rich work to grow in him, to transform him, to build him up into God's dwelling place, so that the verses we're about to look at in 1 Peter chapter 1 and 2 those verses could be ministered out of such a person because those verses got worked into Peter by the Lord and they became his reality. And such a work was done, such a rich dispensing and a rich rotting of this wonderful Christ into Peter that he was able to flow something out so rich that we're about to see in 1 Peter chapter 1 and 1 Peter chapter 2. So I want you, I want you guys to know these six points. Um, hopefully by the time we finish our outing today, I'm going to be covering the first three, all in chapter one. And you can see the first three on your outline. The first one is the matter of being chosen. The second one is the matter of being redeemed. 
The third one is the matter of being regenerated. And Chris will share on growth, transformation, and building from chapter 2. So all these six points came out and flowed out from Peter as he wrote this epistle because these points became his reality and were worked into him by such an extent by the operating and energizing triune God. The Lord did a mighty work in Peter. He wants to do such a work in us today. You know, Peter, we're going to see. I I really like these here, man. I'm going to read you guys from what Peter was to what he became. Okay? Peter was a vanity man who became a reality man. Peter was a dead man who became a life man. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Peter was a clay man who became a stone man. Peter was an individual man who became a building man. And Peter was a man-expressing man, but became a God-expressing man. We'll see all these points in 1 Peter chapter 1 and chapter 2. The Lord wants to make us such persons today, my brothers and sisters. So, let's jump into the first point. On chosen, let's read 1 Peter 2, uh, 1, 2. Ready, go. Okay. Excellent. Sorry, that first two there should be a one. Circle chosen. <clears throat> And underline according to the foreknowledge. We're going to be getting into this right here. Brothers and sisters, we were chosen. Thank the Lord. We were chosen by who? Our Father God. When were we chosen? We were chosen in eternity past. Before time, before space, it's just God. And at that moment, the moment before there was moments, there's no time. God chose us. Our Father God chose us. And, you know, we've all had experiences of being chosen for this and that. I would like to share with you guys one experience of me being chosen in the human realm. It is, let's see, spring 2006. The UT football team has just won the national championship three months before. And my mom gets a phone call from the UT football department saying that I want you, sorry, I want your son, that's me, to come be what's called a preferred walk-on on the football team. We've seen what he can do, we know what he can do, and we want him to be a preferred walk-on on the football team. A preferred walk-on is you're not on scholarship, but you don't have to go through the grind, the process of getting on the team because you're already chosen, you're already selected, you're already approved. So when I got that news, I was like ecstatic. Because this was a dream that I had ever since I was little. You can see baby pictures of me in my UT football Longhorn uniform. And when my mom told me that, that she got that phone call, I was just ecstatic that I would be chosen. I would be selected by such a prestigious uh, entity. UT football coming off the 2005 National Championship, beating probably one of the greatest college football teams it's ever been, the USC Trojans. And I got chosen. 
to be a part of that. Pretty awesome, right? Well, let's just say, I'll just say this. The UT football program doesn't compare to being chosen by our Father God. Doesn't compare. Hallelujah! Our Father God chose us. But he, he chose us in a way that is not typical than how the world and the things of the world choose people. UT football, they'd seen my film. They'd watch me at their football camp. They analyzed me. They saw how I worked. And based off that, they chose me. But that's not how God chose us. We need to read Romans 9.11. Let's read that together. Ready, go. Okay, you have to circle selection. Chosen and selection are the same. And you have to underline that not of works. UT chose me because of my works. They knew how I worked on the football field. They knew what I could do. But our Father God chose us not based on our works. Even though He was able to see us in His foreknowledge, even though He knew all the good and all the bad that we would do, He did not take that into account for His choosing of us. This is good news, my brothers and sisters. Our works were not a factor in God's choosing of us. It's like, it's like He hired us without even considering what's on our resume. Our resume is pretty poor if you really think about it. And God, He knew it's on the resume, but it's like, you know what? I'm not even going to consider that as a factor. I'm just going to choose you because I see you in Christ and I love you. It's awesome. So my brothers and sisters, from now this point here, moving on to the future, you have to realize God's eternal selection of you was not based on your works. So He will never, ever, ever deselect you because of anything bad that you'll ever do. Because our works were never a factor from the get-go. This is our awesome Father God in His mercy and grace and love toward us. So thank the Lord for the Father's selection, the Father's choosing of us. But the Father is not a purposeless Father. He's not a purposeless God. He's a God full of purpose. And so that's how we need to look at the next few verses in Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. 4 and 5. So let's read those together. Ready, go. Okay, there's a lot here, but I want to just hone in on He chose us, so you can circle that. Circle predestinating us. In His choosing of us, He predestinated us. God's choosing and predestinating are two aspects of one thing. It's a package deal. Hallelujah. And then you have to underline unto sonship. So in God's choosing of us, He predestinated us. The key word there in predestinated is destiny. God gave us a destiny when He chose us because He's not purposeless. 
Our destiny is set, brothers and sisters. And the destiny is sonship. Predestinating us unto sonship. What is sonship? Sonship is God's full expression in His many sons that have been built up together as one. That's sonship. God's full expression through His many sons built up together as one. That's our destiny, my brothers and sisters. We were chosen and we were predestinated. All this happened in eternity past. There's no time. There's no space yet. But all this wonderful divine activity of the triune God has already taken place. He saw us. He approved us. He appreciated us. He selected us and say, this one is for my purpose. This one's destiny is to be a full-grown son of God with all the other full-grown son of God, sons of God, fully expressing me for eternity. That's chosen. Wonderful. Thank the Lord for the Father's choosing. Well, for this wonderful purpose of God to have His full expression to be carried out, He needed to create time and space. He needed to create the heavens, the earth. He needed to create man. But we know the story, man fell. He disobeyed God. He transgressed God's commandment. And sin got into man. And man was in a very far away state from being in any place where God could use him to fulfill his purpose. That's why God had to become a man in Christ to accomplish redemption, which brings us to our second point. So, say redeemed. Redeemed. Say it again, redeemed. Redeemed. Okay, we're going to read all the verses here in a little bit, but I want to jump down to 18 and 19. And let's read 18 and 19. Ready, go. Okay, I want you to uh, underline you were redeemed. I want you to underline vain manner of life. We're going to come to that. Uh, Underline precious blood. Underline the blood of Christ. Redemption. You were redeemed. What does redemption mean? It means to buy back at a cost. And the price for your redemption was the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the price it took for you to be redeemed. You to be purchased back to God. The highest price was paid. The very precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter is the only one who uses this term, the precious blood of Christ. No doubt we just read, you know, when we covered kind of in the intro that Peter messed up a lot. And no doubt Peter's failures contributed to his increased appreciation and evaluation of the precious blood of Christ. Because he was the one who, yes, messed up a lot, but he was one who employed the precious blood of Christ and used it and realized, wow, this stuff. This precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is so powerful. It's so valuable. It's precious. 
But what's wonderful, okay, come to that, sorry. So a little point of practicality, okay? And then we'll come to the main (laughs) point of practicality. Brothers and sisters, every time you mess up, you have to realize there is a provision for you and a very precious provision. And that provision is the precious blood of Christ. And what Satan wants you to do after we sin is stay under the cloud of condemnation where you have no desire to get with the brothers and the sisters, no desire to approach God with boldness. You're just taken out for a little bit. But we have to realize that our waiting and remaining under such a cloud of condemnation doesn't increase the preciousness of the blood of Christ and the effectiveness of the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is ready to be applied. The Lord is ready to forgive us. And we are ready to approach God with boldness because Christ is our merit and Christ is our righteousness. We do this by confessing our sins. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1, 9. And verse 7 says, The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from every sin. So learn to employ the precious blood of Christ. But what's interesting is that Peter's main thrust in these verses that we're about to look into concerning the precious blood of Christ is not so much dealing with our sins. This was so impressive to me. And before we jump into this point, I'd like for us to stand up. I'd like for us to stand up. And hit a praise the Lord on three. One, two, three. Praise the Lord. I know we're we're battling a little afternoon tiredness. You know, so if you need to hit a little one of these guys, you know, a little one of these guys, because we're about halfway through, so I want you guys to be ready to go, okay? All right? And we're getting to the main thrust right here. What I want you to get, okay? So y'all can sit down now. All right. Y'all feel better? Excellent. Peter's main emphasis in these verses under redeemed, this section under redeemed, Peter's main emphasis here is not being redeemed from sins and not just having his blood wipe away the debt of our sin and wipe our slate clean. His main emphasis is being redeemed from a vain manner of life. Vain manner of life. That's his main point. You know, redemption from sins, that happened about 2,000 years ago. And thank the Lord for that. But what about an aspect of the Lord's redemption that applies to every second of every day in the present moment. What about an aspect of the Lord's redemption that's so intertwined with your daily life? An aspect of this redemption is what Peter's bringing out right here, being redeemed from our vain manner of life. So now I would like to go back to these verses, and I would like to read them all together, all the verses, and I would like for the bros to start on 14, the sisters on 15, and we'll just alternate through, okay? So the bros on 14, ready, go. As children of obedience, do not be 
things with silver or gold, but that you were redeemed from your vain manner of life and handed down from your fathers. But by the precious blood, as a lamb without blemish and without spot, the blood of Christ. Okay, in verse 15, I want you under, to underline, Be holy in all your manner of life. In verse 17, I want you to underline, pass the time of your sojourning in fear. And the other stuff we underline. So we'll tie all these together. You have to see here, my brothers and sisters, is that Peter is making a contrast between two manners of life. In verse 15, he says, be holy in all your manner of life. A holy manner of life. And he contrasts that with verse 18, when he mentions vain manner of life. Sometimes we can think of having a holy manner of life as just having a sinless life. But that's not the contrast Peter's making here. He's contrasting a holy manner of life versus a vain manner of life. And that the price that it took for Peter to be rescued, not only out of a sinful life, but a life of emptiness, a life of vanity. That price was the precious blood of Jesus Christ to bring him out of a life of emptiness and nothingness and bring him into a life that is holy, that is full of meaning, that is full of purpose, a life that contributes to God's eternal purpose. And so Peter, he he realized that he was a vain man living a vain life. But by the Lord's redemption on the cross and by the shedding of this blood, this blood was able to get Peter out of being a vain man and living a vain life. It's like, what preciousness is that? This this wonderful thing, the blood of Christ is so precious that it got me out of a vain man being being in a vain life. That's the main thrust that Peter's talking about here. And that was his realization of what he was and what he was doing, vanity. And then there was a provision, the precious blood of Christ, to redeem him out of that vanity into a holy life that fulfills God's purpose. And we today, my brothers and sisters, need such a realization, an appreciation that the Lord's blood, His precious blood, not only redeems us from sins, but redeems us from our vain manner of life. It's not good enough for us to just have our record cleared away of sin, our sin record wiped away. Wonderful for us, but what about God? God has a purpose. He wants something. His desire is to have a full expression in this universe. It's not good enough just to be blood-washed believers but we need to be believers coming out of a vain manner of life. It's still possible to be a believer and living a vain manner of life. It's still possible, brothers and sisters. We have to realize there's a provision there for us to bring us out of a vain manner of life into a life full of purpose and meaning. And, you know, vanity, vain, That's emptiness. There's no direction there. There's no purpose. There's no goal. And we're not talking about to get out of such a life 
just picking up any goal, picking up any purpose. Peter's not talking about that here. It's not just the goal of, okay, I want to read my Bible in a year, or I want to bring somebody to the Lord this year. We're talking about God's eternal purpose. We're talking about God's goal. We're talking about picking up that goal. Yes, it's good to have personal goals in our Christian life, in our human life. But we're talking about the ultimate goal, the goal for the reason why this universe exists. That's the goal we're talking about. That's the purpose we're talking about. And brothers and sisters, if God were to ask you, do you know what my purpose is? Do you know how I'm going to get my purpose? Have you seen it? Do you know how to enter into it? And if God asks you that question, you just put yourself in that scenario. If there's any feeling within of, I don't know. God, I don't know what your purpose is. Or maybe I know a little bit, but I don't see too clearly. I don't know how to enter into it. That's okay because there's a provision for you. And you don't have to stand with that. We don't have to stand with being an aimless believer. We don't have to stand with a believer that doesn't stand as a believer that doesn't know God's purpose. Because the reason Christ shed his blood is that you would come out of that. Come out of that aimlessness. Come out of that purposelessness. And come into a life that's full of aim. Come into a life that has a direction. And that direction is towards the ultimate goal of this universe, which is God's goal. God's eternal purpose. That's what Peter's talking about here. And that's the opportunity that we have today, my brothers and sisters. That's the provision for us, the Lord's precious blood, that we don't have to live a life of vanity. We don't have to be aimless in our Christian life. A, a dear believer I know is, is, is entering into new stages of life, and they keep asking, what's my purpose now? What's my purpose now? We do not have to stand with that. Because the Lord accomplished a redemption because of the price of His precious blood, we can be redeemed out of our vain manner of life. Not just a sinful life, but a life that is aimless. We can come out of that and be people filled with direction, filled with purpose. We know where we're going. We know where we're headed to. We see it, and we know how to enter into it. The Lord died so that we would be those kind of people. And I would say... Um, you know, Peter had this appreciation. We need to have such realization. <clears throat> and maybe, maybe you're kind of like, um, ah, I, still, I still feel maybe just a little kind of apathetic towards this kind of fellowship, you know. I'm not just so inspired to really get into what God's purpose is and how I fit in. That's okay. Because Peter, he has a precious word at the beginning of verse 18. Knowing. Knowing. Knowing that it was not with corruptible things, with silver or gold, that you were redeemed from your vain manner of life, but with precious blood. We need such a knowing. This kind of knowing takes place when we give the Lord a way to really impress on us His redemption his spending the six hours on, on that cross nailed and shedding his blood. And that blood was the price for us to come out of a vain manner of life. 
when that, puts on, when that is put on our heart and blazed into our heart, then spontaneously a desire will rise up and you'll realize I don't belong to myself. I belong to God. And Christ's precious blood to redeem me out of a life that is aimless and meaningless and purposelessness into a life full of meaning and purpose. The Lord's redemption, we need to know it. Know it in such a way that it just fires us up to know God's purpose and to dive into God's purpose. But I would say this, something needs to follow that. And in my experience... Um, I had such an experience, and for the sake of time, I can't give you the details. <clears throat> but we need the follow-up shepherding. Amen. We need shepherding, my brothers and sisters. We need shepherding by the older brothers and sisters that are in a life filled with reality. They're in a life filled with purpose. They know where, where they're headed. They know why the universe exists. They know what their life is for. They know God's purpose, and they know how to enter in. We need those saints, those believers, to shepherd us, to increase our seeing of what God's purpose is, and to give us an entryway into participating into God's purpose. So we need to know that the Lord shed His blood so we would come out of life of vanity, and we need the shepherding from the saints to bring us into such a life of fulfilling God's purpose. Such a life will be a life of passing the time of our, of our sojourning in fear. And <clears throat> I'll say this, brothers and sisters, a person who has such a realization of the Lord's redemption on the cross to pay the price to bring us out of a vain manner of life, a person who has been fired up by such a love of Christ on the cross for them, realize they don't belong to themselves to live a vain manner of life, but they belong to the Lord in His use for His purpose. A person who gives themselves to be shepherded by the brothers and sisters to see God's purpose more and to enter in into a life that contributes to fulfilling that purpose, that person, I guarantee you, will live a life full of meaning, full of joy, a life so rich, a life so glorious, and a life of no regrets. And I hope and pray that my life and your life will be such a life when it's all said and done. So I really thank the Lord for Peter's word that his redemption was to bring us out of a vain manner of life into a holy manner of living, a living that contributes to the fulfillment of God's purpose. And we'll see, mainly in Chris's message, Peter will unfold even more what kind of holy living that God desires out of us that will contribute to the fulfillment of His purpose. So I say, stay tuned. But we're going to move on to regeneration as the last point. <clears throat> Let's all say regenerated. Go. Regenerated. Say it again. Ready, go. Regenerated. Let's read 1 Peter 1.3. Ready, go.
Okay, circle regenerated us and underline living hope. And then we'll get to verse 123 in a little bit. Praise the Lord for regeneration, y'all. Christ's redemption gave God a solid base for Him to put His life into us, to dispense His life into us, to beget us as His child. Wonderful. Regeneration is to receive another life in addition to our human life. And thank the Lord that other life that we have received in our second birth is none other than the very life of God. And regeneration, my brothers and sisters, is not a small thing because with regeneration, there was a result. And the result we have is that we are now persons that have a living hope. The verse says, regenerated unto, resulting in a living hope. What is a living hope? A living hope is the hope of life. Living hope is a hope of life. Previously, you know, Paul writes in Ephesians 2, verse 1, he says, We were dead in our offenses and sins. He goes on in verse 12. We had no hope and were without God in the world. So prior to being re- redeemed and regenerated, we were dead. Everything about us was dead. Everything around us was dead. And everything looking forward was dead. That was our reality. A dead hope is no hope. But thank the Lord, when He dispensed His life into us, when the divine life got into us, we were given a living hope. This living hope is a hope of life, and this hope has its source in life. A good example of this is a newborn child. We've been having some newborns kind of around. Some are getting up there. How old is your baby now, Chris? Six months. Six months. So, Kyle, how old is little Jude now? Eleven weeks. We'll take them as an example. When Jude popped on the scene, Kyle and Caitlin had such a hope for their son. Oh, what's he going to look like? What's he going to be like? What's he going to do? What's he going to accomplish? All these wonderful expectations, all these wonderful hopes that they're seeing in their child as they're projecting his his future, projecting out his future. But all those expectations, all those hopes that the Bartons have for little Jude hinge on the life of that baby. You take away the life of that baby, all those hopes go away. The same with us, brothers and sisters. We've been begotten of Almighty God. God is our Father. And with our second birth, His life got dispensed into our spirit, and we have such a living hope. And our living hope is full of life expectations. Let me give you some of these expectations. Because we have a living hope, we have the hope of growing in life. We have the hope of maturing in the divine life. We have the hope of manifesting our gifts. We have the hope of exercising our function as members. We have the hope of being transformed, of overcoming of being glorified, of entering into the wedding feast, reigning with Christ in the kingdom, and becoming a part of the new Jerusalem. All these are a part of the living hope 
that we now have because we've been regenerated by our Father God. It's awesome. And going to 1 Peter 1.23, Peter says, Having been regenerated, not of a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the living and abiding Word of God. So if your paper, you can circle regenerated and underline seed and incorruptible. So what we have to see here, brothers and sisters, and when we, when our second birth occurred, the divine life of God came into us as a seed into our spirit. A seed is a container of life. And within that seed, I wish I would grab a seed of that tree right there. You know, that tree right there started off as a seed. They got planted into the ground. And those genes that were in that seed were just given away to release the life power to form such an expression of that large tree. It's all there in the seed. And we have received the divine seed with the divine genes. And so if we just give, give the Lord away, if we take care of that seed, the life power in that seed will begin to develop and to, and to grow. And the life within that seed will begin to manifest and break through so many things in our being if we just care for this wonderful divine seed that we've been regenerated with. And so I want to leave you with a couple of points of fellowship. My brothers and sisters, take care of the seed. Take care of the seed in your spirit. Give the seed away to do what's contained in it, that power, that life power. Take care of it so that life power be released. And to take care of the seed, I think Seahaw, it's a matter of growing. Seahaw's going to hit that later. But um, taking care of the seed is to take care of the soil. If you want to take care of the seed, you need to take care of the soil. And the soil in our being that the seed has been sowed into is the soil of our heart. We need to take care of the seed by taking care of the soil, which means we need to take care of our heart. What happens with our heart is that it's easy for a lot of things to come in and mix with our heart. Especially, um, man, everything's trying to seep in and mix with our heart. But Jesus Christ said in Matthew 5, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. A pure in heart is a single heart. A heart without mixture, a heart that has the Lord Jesus Christ as its goal. May a heart be so pure, so single. We want this wonderful person. We want you, Lord Jesus Christ. Pure heart. Also, with our heart, our heart needs to be open. We need to have an open heart. What happens is, is that there's a lot of things occupying our hearts. And when the Lord, His divine seed, wants to move in, and He begins, He wants to enter in into a new avenue of our heart, and there's something already there, what happens is, is that we have a tight grip on it. We have a tight grip on it. For example, you young people, it's easy to have a tight grip on your future. Because the future, you have a lot of it because you're young. But the Lord wants to creep into that part of your heart. He wants you to open that part of your heart. And the thing is that it's easy to have something that's so intimate to us, so treasured by us. It's so easy to have a tight 
grip on it. It's not a bad thing that it's there. That's fine. But by the Lord's mercy and grace, and I would say by a freshly experiencing His love for us, what happens is that our tight grip loosens and we just open it to the Lord so that He can have a way in this part of our heart to do whatever He wants. So we need to take care of the seed, my brothers and sisters, which means take care of the soil. Pure in heart and an open heart so that this seed can have a way to grow and develop in us to basically bring us into what Chris is going to talk about later.